0: Hello everyone, I'm Jen and welcome to another episode of Pod. On this week's episode, I'm talking to Leanne Yao of the Polyphilia blog about their journey in polyamory and also how they became a polyamorous influencer. Well, a content creator to be more specific. And so we have a lot of fun conversations about that that I can't wait for you to hear. So check out my interview with Leanne right now. So I have Leanne Yao from Polyphilia Blog here today to talk about their journey to polyamory, the influencing aspect of things, and all that jazz. Leanne, thank you for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Very excited. So just- of
0: course. So why don't you tell people a little bit about you? i just like to prime them, like who you are, what you do, what you're about. like talk to the masses
1: so yeah so i'm leanne i i'm a polyamorous content creator i tend not to use the word influencer because like i'm an influencer but yeah i tend to say content creator educator advocate these are all like labels that i use and i'm bisexual i am chinese i am autistic and obviously i'm non-monogamous and i founded polyphilia roughly a year ago and it Basically blew up in a very short space of time. And now I think by social media following I've got like the largest platform in Europe dedicated to non monogamy and kind of alternative relationships in general. So yeah, that that's me.
0: Yeah. What do you say that you started your platform a year ago pretty much? And now you're at how many hundreds of thousands of followers do you have now? Like across platforms?
1: So last I checked, I was at mm-hmm. seventy-three thousand on Instagram uh one hundred and seven thousand on TikTok, almost thirty four thousand on Facebook, and I've and just over five thousand on Twitter. Yeah, so that's so not. like
0: you're pushing the 200 plus thousand just like across all platforms and that's like insane
1: no one expects
0: those numbers from a non-monogamous page
1: yeah absolutely i think it's just something that has become like really hot topic in the last year i think i entered this space at exactly the right time basically and i just rode the wave while it was happening i was also able to occupy a niche that wasn't particularly saturated i noticed that there were only kind of two other meme pages who were creating kind of polyamorous memes like at the time and so i got in there and i started posting memes as well and they're very easily digestible kind of bite-sized content that uh, and people like that i think people uh, their attention spans aren't massive these days particularly with the rise of uh, things like tiktok and so posting memes seemed like the best way to go compared to like long-form articles and blog posts and so that's the secret to like how you know i experienced basically a meteoric rise in the last year because like I post a lot of like quick content that people can easily digest and just share and laugh at. And yeah, so then I just got in there and it expanded from a meme page to just like a general blogging advice for tweets and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's a mixture of content I create and content that I curate. And so I like to bring attention to like content that other people are producing as well and yeah, so I do all all kinds of things and particularly with TikTok and the opportunities that has been creating for me, like that's been like a super fun.
0: Oh yeah, that's amazing. So uh, have you known you were polyamorous before you created this page or is this like a, I decided I figured out I was polyamorous and I'm still going to do this page right away. Was there like a different like time lag in between those two things?
1: Oh yeah, like a massive time lag. I, I think particularly because I do post a fair bit of advice on my page. Like, I don't think I would do that if I just had come in and I'd be like, I've read more than two and now I know everything. Like, no, absolutely. Absolutely not. So I've been practicing, like actively practicing non-monogamy since I was around 16 years old. I'm 23 now. So it's about been about six years. And yeah, I've got, I would say I've got like a fair bit of experience under my belt. Obviously I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself like a veteran or anything. There been people who've been doing this for 10, 20 years, but I would say I have probably more experience than the average person, particularly for someone of my age and generation. So yeah, I started polyphelia partly at the encouragement of my friends because basically I'd become well known at my university for being like the open relationships person. Like a lot of people would come to me for like my thoughts and advice on certain things related to non-monogamy because I was quite well known for that and being quite, like sexually confident and open and that kind of thing. And then eventually, like, I noticed that I was just getting the same kinds of questions over and over. My friends were like, why don't you just start a blog and then you can have all your answers in one place and so you won't have to keep repeating yourself, basically. And that's how it started. Like, I started out writing kind of long form blog posts and then later started doing memes and then expanded from there. So that's like the origin story of polyphilia. As for my own origin story, I came into it like fair. Yeah, like I said, I started when I was around 16 and had like a standard kind of sexually open relationship at the start and I think over the years we expanded a bit more to swinging and then like eventually polyamory and so that was like a gradual thing like at first I wasn't like my relationship wasn't like completely open it was like sexually open but we were still romantically exclusive Mm -hmm. and then later on I was like this is fine I don't see why I was like restricting this before it kind of doesn't make sense anymore to do that so then went all the way so to speak so that's me and currently as to what my current situation is um I have an anchor partner slash nesting partner of three years and so we live together, we're not married, we don't have kids and both of us have a smattering of other partners slash lovers slash friends benefits slash like whatever friggin label that you want to use yeah, that <laughs> yeah yeah like sometimes I think it's just how many partners do you have and you're like depends on what you count as like a partner if we're talking like serious romantic entanglements I already just have the one at the moment I think I think my my existing anchor partner has raised my standards quite a lot and so I'm surprisingly picky but not surprisingly
0: of- <laughs> like why would you say surprisingly
1: <laughs> oh I just like I think that in the early stages of polyamory quite a lot of people are like they like their their like eyes are bigger than their stomach, and there's this urge to like just go, wow, I can experience like all the love possible, and then they get like massively overloaded. Like that's what I'm referring to. But then I think I, I never experienced that. I think there have been moments where I've struggled to like schedule things, but then not so much where I've been like I'm just going to connect with every possible person that I can. I think that's a very common pitfall, though. Yeah. So So yeah, but I do have a lot of kind of. Casual entanglements, and I are in in different cities and that kind of thing. And I see them every now and then. And uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a good time.
0: Yeah, but like you're in the UK specifically, so do you have partners like in the US as well, or just like all over Europe? And what, what's it looking? What's your net looking like? How far does your polycule spread?
1: Yeah, so like I have, so I have a friend who is in Seattle and. Like, I say friend, but we have, like, a very complex relationship because, like, we've known each other for so long. And, like, the one time that they did come to visit me in the UK, we did kiss. And so there was always, like, a romantic dynamic that was acknowledged that We just let it simmer. And mm-hmm. so we've never actually fully, like, acted on it because both of us would be absolutely terrible at long distance. So we're kind of in that in-between space. So I guess if you're going to ask me, like, how far that stretches, I guess, it would be that far. But um, yeah that's kind of for my other for my other but no I don't have the one in every continent or anything no like most of my partners are situated in like the city that I'm in and also the city where like I went to university which is where I did most of my exploring of non-monogamy so I have a few partners there and then I have a few like where I am now so that's so yeah that's what my network looks like at the moment
0: oh yeah because when you said Seattle I was like Seattle like as <laughs> far as fuck from London let's be honest here like I've done that flight before it is long it is very oh, yeah. long yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah so It's good that you're able to like make these connections with people no matter where they're at. Of course, you know, local, if you're not a long distance oriented person, then local partners make sense. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're able to find more than one is also like a gem situation. (laughs) Like we're really thinking about it. So is the city that you live in, would you say it's like a fairly kinky, such progressive, non-monogamous city? Like to have theoretically what people would consider so many local partners in a city. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would say that in the UK, like London, would probably be like the hub for kind of like queer events and that kind of obviously because it's like such a metropolitan kind of part of the UK and like a lot of stuff happens there. And then I would say Brighton is probably like the gay city. But like where where I live, so I'm in Bristol. I would say yeah, like it's like the weed capital of the UK. So I think that says a lot about about this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are pretty open. People are pretty yeah, pretty open minded. Pretty kinky. Queer, so yeah, it is like a space where it's not difficult to find people like me, and so that's why I enjoy it quite a lot. Like particularly because, so I grew up in Hong Kong. I was there for sixteen years of my life, so basically all my formative years, and obviously that's like very different because I think even though uh, Hong Kong is a lot like London in some respects in that like financial hub and always bustling and a lot of like economic opportunity and very metropolitan and international and that kind of thing. It's also very conservative and I think people still hold on to very traditional values there and so I never felt I quite fit in and it wasn't really until I came to the UK that I was like these are my people, this is where I'm meant to be. So yeah that's a context of like my background and where I come from
0: yeah I meant to ask like I've never been to Hong Kong so I can't even pretend to know exactly what it's like but you said you're also bisexual so was that something that you figured out prior to being 16 as well Is That something you've always known about yourself and then being raised in such a conservative environment as Hong Kong for like the first 16 years of your life what was that
1: yeah that's a great question to be honest like I I didn't really explore much of my sexuality while I was in Hong Kong I don't know if it was because, like, I was just very sheltered. I don't know if it was because, like, I actually know, I do know the reason. So actually, like, when I was around 14 to 16, like, I actually identified as, like, on the asexual spectrum for the longest time. Like, I identified as demisexual around that period. But looking back, and obviously this is just my experience, and I'm not trying to invalidate, like, other asexual people, massive caveat. I'm just saying this is me. But... Looking back at that, I realized that the reason why I identified it that way was because, a, I was very sheltered and hadn't really explored kind of my my sexuality that much or fully come into it, so to speak. And then, secondly, to be fair, like I was getting bullied a lot at school, and so therefore I didn't find anyone attractive because everyone was bullying me. <laughs> so yeah, shit, pretty yeah. much, was yeah. Yeah, like, I wouldn't be attracted to anyone. So it wasn't until, you know, I moved schools and then came to the UK and then, like, people there were, like, much nicer to me that I was like, ah...
0: Oh, I am attracted to people like when, to, when they're not
1: horrible to me. And you're like, i
0: attracted to people, just not shitty humans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's funny how I went from like A to bi slash pan because I think, yeah, like the, the environment really shaped me in that sense. But I think it's a blessing that I didn't figure it out early on because I think that would have just caused like a lot more strife than I was already going through. I think growing up autistic, like I didn't fit in, like, and I was also always massively antisocial and always committing like social faux pas and all the time embarrassing myself to the greatest degree i think being queer and knowing that would have been a very difficult experience i didn't come out as bisexual until i i came to university so i would have been around 18 19 at that time and which was the perfect time to come out because like Everyone at university is so chill about it. And I think university is the time for people to explore and try new things and to take risks. And so mm-hmm. like I came out as bi, like I started sleeping with women. I had a fair bit of group sex. So that was uh, like, that was a great time for me. But yeah, like I think the timing of, the, of all that was was good. My, like I don't have the greatest relationship with my parents and like for a while like, I think they regretted sending me to the UK because they thought that made me gay. And we're still working it out at the moment. And I think they've gotten to the point where they're like, I accept it, that I accept that this is like your life and you're an adult and I have no business kind of controlling your decisions. I accept, but I don't agree, which is which is a bit empty to me, but then at the same time, like We have worked a lot to get to this point. So I think you pick and choose your battles and this is not one that I need to expend energy on.
0: No, that's 100% true, especially with parents. It's kind of like, it's like you like it, I love it. They don't really mean that, but it's just, this is the level of acceptance they have for you. They can't, parents are still human. They can't evolve past whatever point they're at unless they choose to. So if they don't have to really deal with a thing probably this is the best way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Are your parents like super conservative as well, based on like their upbringing as well, and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not yeah. in that kind of space where you can just be like, Yeah, I was just out like licking some pussy last night, and it was like amazing. What we would tell is- you this at the time that my boyfriend and my girlfriend and I had sex, it's fantastic. But they're not those parents. <laughs> this is no. not Regina George's no. mom and me and girls trying to be cool,
1: mom, Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs>
0: They're not that. And I think that I think a lot of people, as you get older, and you become an adult, you realize, wow, my parents don't know shit. <laughs> like they're not at that level to be able to accept me and like to acknowledge the certain changes and growth that have happened. But in that same breath, like my parents, my mom in particular knows that I am, you know, pansexual, knows mm-hmm. that I'm polyamorous. Does she understand what any of that really means? Aside from the fact that I can have boyfriends and girlfriends and sometimes at the same time, like not quite, Mm. (laughs) but you need to just meet them where they're at. (laughs) You just meet them where they're at. And that you making that conscious choice is like super important to a lot of people who are like, they're still fighting like, oh, no, I need this acceptance. And it's, listen, sometimes you just got to meet your parents where they're at because they're fucking human beings. Like you can't force them to get to a level that you're at because that's Mm. who you are
1: yeah that that yeah but equally I think different people have different boundaries and I think if someone would have, they have higher standards for their parents in terms of where they want to meet in the middle and they would cut off their parents because they don't want to deal with that that's also valid I feel I was at a point where I mm-hmm. was ready to cut them off but then now I've mellowed out a little and I'm like is it worth it like is this that much of a deal breaker to me not really I think for me I'm able to say that because we live on different continents and then I so I think that like their reach of and I guess kind of access to my life in general is very limited as it is and so perhaps I don't feel like their wrath like quite as much as if like we were living in the same city uh-huh. so I think it's a different situation but, but yeah i would quote polyamorous while asian because i remember that she made a post about coming out to family a while back and the words that she said in that post have stuck with me ever since so thank you, polyamorous well-Asian. Basically, she said that something along... I'm paraphrasing, but it's something along the lines of like the opinion of those who never seek to truly know us is vastly overrated.
0: Yes, snaps for that, Shay.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah, like I read that and I was like, that was incredibly like affirming and validating. If you're listening to this, Michelle, like that was genuinely like immensely impactful. And I'm sure it was for many other people as well. Anyway, yeah, go follow her. Like I think if she, if she and I are like possibly the only the like main two kind of polyamorous Asians who are frequenting like the polyamorous yeah like influencing space so yeah it's great fun being alongside her
0: yes no absolutely I was also doing my research you know when I was talking about bringing on Asian guests and I was just okay so we have two (laughs) there are a couple that exist in like the swinger-ish space but Mm. swinging and polyamory are not the same thing. Overlap a lot, but not the same thing. Yeah, Yeah. not the same. So it is interesting. So have you had any kind of like internal struggles related to your upbringing in Hong Kong versus like the wild, quote-unquote, reckless life that your parents say you're living in the UK since it made you gay and shit?
1: I think that given that I grew up autistic and I was diagnosed at a very young age, I've known for a while now, I didn't fit in anyway. And then so I think very early on, I just learned like not to give a fuck. And that kind of applied to my parents as well. I was just like, this is this doesn't make any sense and like the logic doesn't follow and so I am going to ignore it. Which is not to say that there was no emotional impact from kind of my parents in terms of like them rejecting me and that kind of thing and like all the fucking work that we had to do. But I would say that it has affected me less than it normally would have. I think that some people probably hold like a lot of internalized shame from their upbringing. Whether it's like internalized like racism and misogyny or homophobia or whatever. So not to say that I didn't experience that. I'm sure I did but then it didn't impact me to like such a degree that i was like self-hating for being bisexual or polyamorous or not being able to like appease my parents or whatever like it never got to that point and this might be because like i've always had a very strong sense of self it might be because like like i said i learned not to care fairly early on because i had to given my given that i'm neurodivergent and all it might be like a whole bunch of other things But I think in terms of working through shame or anything like that, I'm very fortunate to say that like that has not been like a huge thing in my personal life.
0: Okay, all right. So now let's tie this into your influencing, quote unquote. Right, you're a content creator for polyamorous content. You started with the blog, you did memes, and now you're doing like polyamory tip of the day. Like you're bringing and then sharing other great polyamorous quotes and like stories from other people as well. So let's talk about how that works. Like I said, it's really you and Michelle that do this in that space as Asian content creators or polyamorous content. So have you noticed like a difference in how people relate to your content versus how they might relate to say other white counterparts who do polyamorous content creation?
1: I think that there's a couple of dimensions to this and obviously different people, different influences conduct themselves um differently. Like, I, for, like, most of the last year, didn't really show my face a huge amount until I got on TikTok. And I got on TikTok around May, so I've only been on TikTok for about six months. And, like, before that, like, I was just posting memes and that kind of thing. And I showed my face in my story sometimes, but that was, like, a minimal thing. So, actually, like, I still think that to this day, quite a lot of people don't know that I am Asian. Whereas I think like Michelle, obviously her handle is polyamorous while Asian. I think her content is more focused on like the intersection of being polyamorous and Asian. And like, it's a much more kind of like politically focused page. Whereas mine is just more generally just like about polyamory. And I do occasionally refer to the intersection of race and polyamory, but I think that Michelle definitely takes the reins in terms of that particular niche. So I think that's the first thing. And so I think because of that, I haven't received as much, I don't know, like racist abuse or anything like that, that that you would normally encounter. I think that particularly people who like post like photos of themselves, like on Instagram, like they get subject to a lot of hate or like comments on their appearance and in, like insults and that kind of thing. And I've pretty much largely avoided that. I have the occasional comments of that kind of like a very like sexualizing comment, but it's never like a racially charged one. Yeah, but that's largely due to the type of content I post and how much I show my face on my platform on a regular basis. Like, I've seen, like, a fellow content creator, uh, Evita Sawyers, so at Locker 34 I remember, like, she posted a photo of her, like, in some really fancy lingerie one time, and then got, like, some horrible racist comments, like, on like on her post, and I was like, Jesus Christ, that's that's not okay. And, yeah, I haven't received anything like that. I have, however, I have, however, received... Kind of comments about not presenting autistic enough there have been two or three instances where people have like privately dm'd me and just gone i don't believe that you're autistic one was from an actual another person who claimed that they were also autistic and they were like you're able to look at the camera and smile and therefore you're not autistic and i'm like that's a very arbitrary measure to decide whether someone's autistic or not and also fuck you i got yeah. diagnosed. go away and so people have said stuff like that and i think people i, I think people fail to appreciate that like the autistic experience is extremely vast and varied. Like today, like I was doing a presentation with poly Pages on a polyamory day where I was talking about neurodivergence and polyamory. And like, we had to put so many caveats throughout the presentation going, this is my lived experience. It may be different from your lived experience. There is a lot of diversity and variety like within this community itself. Yeah. Yeah, but to talk about what you said again about or how I feel I may be treated differently from other creators. I think like it's very difficult to pinpoint, again, because of all the factors that were mentioned. Like the type of content create I create, whether I show my face, like whatever, like size of platform as well, obviously that's another factor. Like which platforms you're on, which age groups you tend to attract that all factors in I would say that I get like a more criticism of Facebook than any other platform I think like Facebook is mostly like an older audience and I think there is some semblance of old guard gatekeeping certain aspects of polyamory not willing to change with evolving language and also like a lot of people are quite annoyed at how a lot of people a lot of influencers like myself as they quote capitalizing off the community by like asking for donations and like having patreons and that kind of thing and offering peer support and that's like a whole other debate within itself but then i personally see nothing wrong with asking for completely voluntary donations when you know all of my content is free and i produce lots of it every day if people want to compensate me for my efforts if they can if they just want to like scroll and enjoy my stuff and not give a single penny that's also fine so yeah like i get a lot of comments like that on facebook like saying that i'm just doing this all for cash which i'm not like i i'm very dedicated to my job and i do feel that like content creators and generally like entertainers and artists online, like their jobs aren't taken as seriously by virtue of it being like arty or it being online. And I think that's like a that's like a whole other thing that's going on. And I think that people who are like from older generations are particularly resistant to it. That's what I've observed anyway. And the fact that I'm on multiple platforms means that I can observe how people generally react to my stuff. On Facebook I've got like my oldest demographic. On Instagram I've got like millennials, people in their thirties and that kind of thing. Twenties, thirties I'd say. And then TikTok is where I've got the teenagers and and, like, a lot of them are just commenting in all caps or, like, asking, like, really basic questions. And yeah. I'm just, like, this is, like, I I get, like, the whole spectrum um, of, like, reactions to my content. And so that's been really interesting.
0: Yeah, that definitely sounds interesting. What is the most memorable piece of commentary, I guess you could say, you've received from someone about your content due to your being Asian I guess you could say because I, I know that like you said you've they've made some sexual comments before mm-hmm. like about the subservience of like Asian women or like what exactly is if you're open to sharing that
1: yeah I don't know if any of the sexual comments that have been made toward me were like particularly racially charged I have had some kind of like racist comments you know with the classic uncreative ching chong type stuff and and that's just like i think of something better like seriously and then i've had some like sexual comments but never kind of stuff that's been like combined okay yeah like not on my platform at least but then to be fair like i don't post like a huge amount of like overtly sexual content on my platform so like that might also be why um like i don't post like thirst traps and that kind of thing which is not to say that like people who do post thirst traps are like asking for anything like that but i'm just this is just not something i personally do and so because of that like people haven't been like making those kinds of comments in my direction i've been sent like dick pics like in or, like on instagram and uh, i reported them and i got a, like a band from instagram for a little while and also had like my kind of monetizing um things like taken away from me for a good few months which was extremely annoying wow. and yeah so i think in terms of like most instance of criticism or what—not criticism but just like harassment that's probably the most memorable one because just because of how grossly unfair it was and yeah instagram needs to sort itself out i always encourage other influencers to put their eggs in multiple baskets because like if one platform goes down and you're only using that platform then like you're fucked and so, so
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So that's why I've been expanding to TikTok and regularly producing content on multiple platforms because you never know what might happen to one of them. It might go down the drain. Like it might be bought by another company and turn shit. Like you don't know. So when you rely on platforms to make a living, I think it's best to spread your... Yeah.
0: So what kind is it? Content on TikTok the same as what you put on Instagram like in terms of like the memes and stuff, or are you doing like are you hopping on trends? Tell me about more about this influencer thing, especially on TikTok, which we all know is like the social media king at this point in twenty twenty one.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would I post different content on different platforms, but then I would say that Instagram is the place where you can see like most of my stuff. You know, my my memes are on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and twitter and then tiktok is just to my videos but i also post my videos to instagram like because instagram is instagram reels but not all of them because instagram's videos are limited to 30 seconds whereas tiktok they can be up to three minutes so then there are some videos where i do like longer answers to q a's where i can't post it to instagram but i tend to usually post it to stories i, mm-hmm. I don't have like a I wouldn't say like I had a particularly solid strategy from the beginning. I was just like, oh, I'll just do what feels fun and see if it works. As hopping on trends, yeah, like I tend to do that on TikTok. I tend to take popular trends and see how I can put like a polyamorous spin on it. And I really like using really like monogamous trends. I I think there was one where like there was a song, there was a song where the lyrics were something like he's grabbing her hips and pulling her in, kissing her lips, and you're basically supposed to like imagine you're supposed to sit there and imagine your crush like doing that with someone else and then you film your reaction you film how like jealous you look like while you're thinking about your crush, pulling someone in and kissing them and that kind of thing. And I made a video where instead of like me looking increasingly enraged, like I was smiling because that is the response that I would have to the person I love, like being involved with someone else, showing like conversion and how that kind of diverges from the mainstream narratives of if you love them, then you have to be really possessive of them. And if you care about someone, then you're really jealous all the time. So it's, that's like an example of the kind of thing that I would do to turn content on its
0: head. Okay. And so you're doing this pretty, much on your own. Do you have like, anybody else that you work with, or is just like, this is the Leanne show?
1: This is just a one women's show. This is just me running the whole thing. And yeah, like I'm super busy because I'm constantly on all four platforms. I'm checking tweets. I'm checking trends on TikTok. I'm looking on, I'm looking through, I'm looking for new memes to post on Facebook and Instagram. Like I'm always on it. And then not to mention like my peer support uh, sessions, which like I run and then like thinking of new content to put in my Patreon and then sorting out like merch stuff for my shop and then like fielding like sponsorships and like interviews and that kind of thing and then writing articles for like various things and yeah so it's a whole thing and I like trying to ju- but then I, I do like the variety I do jumping from like task to task and I think that Ultimately, as a creative, it's very fulfilling and stimulating to be able to do all that and brainstorm and think of ideas. but yeah, at the moment it's a it's a one person thing. I haven't really felt the need to hire a team. I have sometimes contemplated like hiring someone to look through my comment section because I haven't looked at my content comment section since I reached ten thousand followers on Instagram, like I check it extremely rarely because it's gotten to the point where it's extremely overwhelming, and I don't have enough time in the day to look at all the things that people are saying about me or saying about the content or like questions that they're asking me or anything like that if i was gonna expand like i would hire someone to read my comment section and tell me anything interesting that they find on there (laughs) because i (laughs) do not pay attention to that stuff anymore and that in itself is a full-time job
0: yeah no it, it absolutely is i've seen some very interesting comments on my page just like based on like even stupid shit i'm just like but the math is not mathing. Like where did this fucking come from? Like in your brain, (laughs) like how did we get here? I think people do this reach, especially like when you're talking about topics that they are uncomfortable with the level of discussions. Like when you're talking about polyamory, it's almost like people are assuming you're talking about sex all the time. you are like, oh no, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to have to engage with this kind of content. And then they leave these weird ass Mm. comments and you're like, what? Like how, that's not even what I said. What
1: are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's. I think that sometimes I feel that people expect too much of content creators. Like particularly because I post a lot of bite sized content. This means that like a very concise tweet can be misinterpreted a whole bunch of different ways. And then so I will see my words be like twisted beyond meaning or misinterpreted. And then you know I'll be called violent or like whatever. And then that will go off on like a whole train of things. And this is the thing about social media. I think, like, you either have to entertain um, or to shock or to anger in order for content to do well. And mm-hmm. I think polyamory is inherently quite a controversial topic. And then, so if it lands on like the wrong side of the internet, like, you get quite a lot of traction very fast. And but in a way this also helps me because the more people who don't like my stuff like comment on my stuff then it more gets shown to like people who wouldn't see it otherwise and then like my following grows like, every single time like I get a massive spike in my following like a thousand followers a day on Instagram it's always when like one of my posts has landed on the wrong side of Instagram and so I'm like this is shit but also thank you because this kind of wouldn't be shown to the masses otherwise so it's a bit of a double-edged yeah. sword and there are And I think also like another thing that I would like to talk about with regard to like people like misinterpreting content and like saying all kinds of funny shit. I would say that I'm quite like a sexually open person and like I occasionally do talk about, I actually talk about sex quite a lot on my page. Like even if I don't post like sexual like content like of myself, I do talk about Mm -hmm. sex. And so occasionally I do post tweets that like would be like quite risque or like they refer to group sex or like that kind of thing. And I get this particularly sex negative response like from the polyamorous community like i think that the polyamorous community have backwards in a way like where like we mm-hmm. spend so much time defending ourselves uh from not being associated with swingers that we've gone the other way and tried to claim that none of us have any sex at all because like i swear like every single time i post something like even vaguely like uh, sexual or risque like people will be like this isn't polyamory and i'd be like i'm while some people in the polyamorous community do have group sex to express like their affection for their partners. And that is a part of non-monogamy, even if it isn't necessarily a part of everyone's polyamory. Yeah. And so it's it comes out of nowhere. It's really strange. I had a recent, a relatively recent post where someone was talking about how like they had this fantasy of being like passed around by their partners, and obviously they're referring to they're objectifying themselves. They're making it into a kink kind of thing. And like the comment section was truly wild. Like a lot of people were just going, "This person is like sensationalizing assault," when this person was clearly talking about like a consensual experience that they had where like they yeah. were willingly by their partners and people were just like, This is I'm being triggered by this, this is like activating me and like and that kinda of, and which is that's valid if you felt like that was like triggering you and that kind of thing. But that was obviously not what this person was talking about so like things like that will happen on my page and then i'm just kind of i just i see my note t- i've see, I got, I got like a billion notifications i look at it and i'm like i am noping out of the situation i do not want to look at this i do not have energy for this today but yeah that's just like a, a day in the life at this point if it's not blowing up on facebook it's blowing up on tiktok if it's not blowing up on tiktok it's blowing up on instagram <laughs> <Interesting>. So yeah, <laughs>
0: that, that's very interesting i think a lot of people don't think about the whole business side of creating content about polyamory and like you said there are people who are just like oh no like you can't profit off of this thing like how dare you do that how dare you accept donations etc etc we've talked about these awkward I call them awkward moments Mm -hmm. (laughs) in influencing with the comments etc but what are like some like highlights of this like how do you feel like connecting with you because you said you also do peer support correct
1: yeah so I would say that Obviously being able to impact such a large audience and like, I get so many like nice comments and nice messages every day. I have a lot of supporters my Patreons really expanded in the last week in particular, which has been really exciting for me and being able to directly engage with my followers and hear like how, like i've changed our lives and helped them like through difficult times and that kind of thing has been like really really great for me and you know in my peer support sessions like that's been like i've been doing that since around march and that's also been like a really great experience like talking to people across the world like being able to have this kind of one on one conversation with them like in private about what they've been experiencing and it's i don't try and position myself as obviously i don't have any qualifications i'm not like a medical professional i'm not i'm not a therapist and i do make clear like the limits of my abilities and the limits of my knowledge but then i think that like for particularly for people who live in quite rural areas or perhaps live in more conservative countries where polyamory or non-monogamy are not as accepted like being able to talk to someone about what they're going through like talk to like a neutral third party who isn't directly involved in their kind of personal life And being able to get like a second opinion on the situation and talk about it as friends without any judgment or kind of invalidation is can be really healing and has been really healing for a lot of the people that I've spoken to. And sometimes like all I do is just sit there and listen to someone vent. Or like I've had sessions where all I've done is just sit there and comfort someone through what's a very difficult time. There are other times where people ask me specific questions or like specific advice on like my thoughts on a certain matter. And there are other times where someone just wants to vent. And like all of that is really valuable. All of that is is really fulfilling to do. There are some days when like it can get emotionally difficult and there have been times where i've had to set boundaries and go i don't know if i'm personally equipped to handle this and i'd recommend you know you speak to a professional if, if it relates to like mental health or like that kind of thing but then like on the whole you know i recommend resources for them to check out go look at the books and podcasts and direct them to places where like they can seek like further guidance basically so that's the extent of what i do in my peer support sessions i don't do it as like an authority or as a mentor or coach like i specifically call it peer support and not like coaching because it is like a peer-to-peer experience like I acknowledge my kind of like my age and my experience and like my own unique perspective and I don't want to impose that on anyone else so yeah that's my my position on it and I think that I started this peer support thing because I was getting way too many messages in my inbox so just way too many people like privately messaging me like asking me for an hour of my time to talk them through their situation And I'm like, I'm like my time is not my time is valuable. Like my time is like, I, I have to invest it, invest my energy, and pick and choose the things I want to invest my energy into. And frankly, it's not, I don't know you. And I feel that I should be appropriately compensated for this time. And that's why I started the peer support thing. And yeah, and so that became its own little venture, basically. So yeah, that's how it started. That's how it's been going. And now I speak, I've spoken to people, individuals, couples, groups from all around the world like i think over 20 countries at this point like hundreds and hundreds of hours put into this and it's been really fun
0: oh wow like you're really doing it big like <laughs> and this is not like me bragging this is just like just straight facts like you grew this platform basically from nothing into this amazing space you offer peer support you do all this sorts of stuff like you're having some great positives even with the awkward bits that we call the negatives like you are successful in this space so can i be honest and have a frank conversation about money as it relates Mm -hmm. to this content creation lifestyle right like we've briefly mentioned people who don't believe you should charge for these Mm -hmm. services despite them making money in other ways related to this exact same shit they don't want anyone else to do it like being 100 percent honest but That's a specific dig at someone. I'm not taking this out of the podcast either. Like I'm just being shady forever. But yeah, so let's talk money. Like when we're talking about like sponsorships and like peer support and corporations, do you have people pushing back against your rates for your peer support sessions?
1: No, I've had people have been up front with me and say, sorry, I can't afford that. And I've been like, fair enough, but here is my FAQ. Here is like a bunch of posts that are related to what you're asking. If you take the time to scroll through my content, you'll probably actually get the answers that you need. It'll just take you a bit of time instead of just directly asking me and then sitting down with me for an hour, half an hour, whatever to talk things through, right? Like it's about whether you want like general support or you want tailored curated support is how I tend to phrase it. And I think regarding corporations, like I think that it's really useful for certain companies to speak to influencers and sponsor them for like certain things. For example, I think a really good example is like sex toy companies. Unfortunately, I think like the majority of society is still like very biased towards any kind of thing that mentions sex in advertising. And you can't advertise sex toys on like regular you can't pay like Facebook ads to to do that kind of thing. And so sex toy companies and sexual wellness companies and whatever like they have to go through influencers and talk to them about making a post or a video or about about their site and about their products and so I think that influencers who work in like sex positive spaces and are able to provide that reach for these companies doing really important work actually and I think that I deserve to be paid for the amount of effort that I put to into building my following because that was not easy and I obviously attribute quite a lot of it to like kind of luck and circumstance but also like it's difficult to build a following like the first 10,000 as they say is always the hardest and then from there it gets a little bit easier but the first yeah. 10,000 is definitely super super challenging and so and I think I deserve to be compensated for that and again I would remind people that this is all absolutely voluntary like I think as long as everyone kind of consents to the situation knows what they're getting themselves into like people are n- under no illusion that I am some kind of professional or whatever. Like they know that they are speaking to me in the capacity of just another regular polyamorous person for my peer support stuff. And the people who support me, like some of them are like me as a person, like some of them like want to just support my efforts and help me like pay rent. Some people want like specific benefits from me, like through my Patreon or whatever. And they sign up for that and that is their right. And if other people don't want to do that is also cool. Like I said. Yeah most of my content is not behind a paywall and I think that myself and like a lot of other people like we put out I think people underestimate like how much time it takes to create content like on a daily basis like it's not just like creating itself but also all the admin that goes into scheduling thinking about what to put in the captions the hashtags to use like, the times to post, or like, where to source content, like, the brainstorming that goes into creating your own content, like, keeping keeping tabs on trends, making sure you don't get banned. Like, there's so much that goes into it behind the scenes that I think that people, like, don't appreciate enough. And, yeah, this is why I don't read my comment section anymore. And yeah. Yeah, because sometimes, And at the end of the day, I think people are going to fuck with my content some days, and so other days they're not going to fuck with it. Like, I think um, I'm not going to try and appease everyone all the time, because there was so much diversity within the polyamorous community i can only represent my own perspective and i think that polyamorous influences in particular because there's only like what like 30 of us we're held to a very high standard a uh, much higher standard than like other kind of types of influences whether it's like fashion or sport or whatever because there aren't many of us and so like people want a specific viewpoint represented and then they but then they can't find it and so they criticize the existing people for not being able to provide that perspective and I think the solution to that obviously is having more people speaking out about their lives and developing a following and being able to speak out for certain communities that are underrepresented but in the meantime like everyone else who's already doing their stuff is continuing to do their stuff I try to be as, as inclusive as possible I try to account for as many viewpoints as possible but like I am limited to my own lived experience and I think yeah. that people would do well to remember that 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 you can't agree with my content all the time and that's a good thing i think because you know you don't want to be in an echo chamber where your opinions are never challenged
0: facts you absolutely do not want that that is probably the thing obviously we talk about people like you have to create the space if it doesn't exist kind mm-hmm. of situation. So like you and Michelle paving the way for Asian polyamorous creators, like mm-hmm. so to speak. I don't consider myself a road paver. But in like, I'm like, I I'm don't I'm maybe a sign along the road. But yeah, you can have black polyamorous content creators talking about very specific niche things. But that's mm-hmm. totally a thing. So what kind of advice would you give to people trying to get out there and create that lane for themselves? Like, for example, one thing that I can say is definitely underrepresented is Polynesian like polyamorous creators right mm. like they're not really on there so if someone was yeah i'm trying to do my polynesian polyamorous polytimes too, content creation stuff what kind of tips and advice can you give to people who are trying to create that lane and create that space for themselves amongst the 30 that already exist
1: i think it's important to create a niche so i would say that my niche is memes like that was what I built my platform on like my niche is like quick bite-sized easily digestible content that's what I mostly prize my platform for and I think that like other people have done very well to have a brand basically examples that I'm thinking of I think that Purity to Polyamory which is, like they're like a very up-and-coming account I think Purity to Polyamory specifically occupies the space of deconstructing Christianity and religion like in the context of nominogly. So Purity to Polyamory, they grew up ex- like evangelical and then moved away from that and are now exploring solo polyamory. And I think that is a fascinating story. And I think the name, you know, from Purity to Polyamory itself is it sticks. And so they've been able to collaborate with others, like in the kind of deconstruction uh, space, but also explore the intersection of evangelical or like ex like stuff like with within the context of non-monogamy and i think that's super valuable because i think particularly in america like there's a lot of kind of purity culture stuff going on and that deserves to be examined uh, within the context of polyamory another example is a uh, marjani lane so marjani lane like is specifically a, like a black focused polyamorous platform she does a lot of content that like specifically relates to like the black polyamorous community They're, like calling out like calling out issues within the community as well, like misogyny and homophobia in the community, polygamy and like the double standards like within that. And she does a lot of really important work on that front. So those are two examples I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, another one, Remodeled Love. So she occupies the niche, it's mostly run by Jess and but also her husband, Joe. So the two of them, Remodeled Love, like they occupy the niche of polyamory and parenting. There aren't a lot of polyamorous families on Instagram, particularly families who like very openly talk about like the challenges of raising kids, like while being polyamorous they're a very Mm. successful couple who've been doing it for 12 years and like the the stuff that they bring to the table is absolutely invaluable so my top tip is to create a niche identify like the gaps in the market so to speak and then occupy it um and and take up space there and have a very focused niche that is desperately needed so you know what you say for example polynesian polyamorous content like people would love that. Double poly. Like, the cultural kind of aspects of that would, you know, be fascinating to examine. I think also, even within the Asian polyamorous space, there's just me and Michelle at the moment. Even me, not that much. Like I don't position myself as an Asian polyamorous creator. Like, I am Mm -hmm. a polyamorous creator who happens to be Asian, whereas, like, Michelle does actually explore that intersection a bit more. And absolutely, I would welcome more people to enter that space and speak out about being Asian, like, and non-monogamous, because I think, like, race and non-monogamy in general is a topic that isn't explored enough particularly given like yeah. you know, like the colonialist roots of uh, monogamy and all that kind of stuff which i'm sure you already explored with anti-mononormative so <laughs> yeah anti-mononormative another example of a niche that's been occupied like specifically exploring like indigenous roots and questioning like an undo like the the roots of monogamy and capitalism and that kind of thing that's super fascinating stuff there's so much to explore there's so much to to examine and so many new perspectives to be offered. And I think like now is the right time to jump in. Like now is the time to like really jump on this bandwagon. I think the pandemic has led a lot of people to really question their own identity. I don't know if you've noticed this. A lot of people have been questioning yeah. their monogamy, questioning their relationships generally and have come out of the pandemic with like a whole set of new self-discoveries. I think it's partly because when you've got nothing to do and you're stuck at home and there's a lot of time for you to think those thoughts that perhaps previously your mind was too busy to think. And so I yes. just kind of come to a lot of realizations that way. I had three friends come out to me as trans in the space of a single week, like in the middle of 2020. Wow. Which I think says a lot about like the impacts that the pandemic has had, but also the number of queer friends that I have.
0: I think once you're a bisexual woman, you just collect queer friends like fucking infinity stones, right? Like you just like a <laughs> hand fucking full of them. It's like, yeah, bitch, I'm Thanos, motherfucker. I got all these goddamn queer friends. I'm like, I'm yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. We all stick together. So yeah, and so because of that, like, I've noticed that as kind Countries are opening up, relationships are opening up. And like Cosmopolitan and like Refinery29 and like all kinds of like media publications are posting a lot more content about polyamory non-monogamy, about how to open a relationship, how to deal with jealousy, how to deal with your partners, how to deal with multiple breakups, all that kind of stuff. That's being explored, and it's very like a ripe ground for like exploration. And yeah, so I encourage all kinds of people to get into that space, and so like the more the more diversity of opinion we have, people will start or stop like badgering me for not being able to represent their opinion so much. <laughs> like, I really appreciate that. So yeah, that's what I would say. Find a niche and occupy it, and understand that there's so and even if you don't occupy a niche, there's so much ground that can be retread, and like you can offer your own unique experience and your own kind of like personal life and offer it to the masses. And I think the more people speak out about being openly non-monogamous the more people will normalize it and we'll get to a point where it's not going to be automatically associated with being manipulative and narcissistic and like unethical and all that kind of stuff. We were generally, I were talking like just before the beginning, like of this podcast about how we've gotten to a place in terms of queer representation in the media, like we can have awful queer characters, as in we can have queer characters who are bad people and it's not going to make the entire queer community look bad. So an example that I raised was the politician in which like every single person in there is bisexual and is a horrible person, but it's fine. And it's not going to make them look like all like bisexual people are bad or whatever. It's just this is a horrible person and they happen to be bi. Whereas I feel like we haven't gotten to that point for polyamorous people yet. I feel like there isn't enough good representation of polyamory for there to be like acceptable bad representation of polyamory and so that's no, a progression that I, yeah so that's a progression that I would like to see
0: oh absolutely like I said when we think about what's been on tv polyamory wise it's never really like polyamory right it's usually like some form of polygamy so you have mm-hmm. the seeking sister wife big love I think the mm-hmm. only real polyamory show we had was polyamory married and dating that reality show with Kamala Devi and her husband and all those people mm-hmm. or just like looking at episodes of real sex on hbo which is a throwback and oldie but a goodie
1: yeah like i haven't actually seen any of those i i was thinking more like stuff on netflix like the swinging stuff that was going on in the recent episode of you there's the whole uh, train wreck of a tv show sex life there's wanderlust there's you me her which was also a fucking train wreck um yes
0: yes yeah. we and talked we- about that show extensively yeah. on the podcast yeah
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And there was a throbble. There were two throbbles in the politician, and yeah, so that that was like fun as well. So, yeah, like I think there's still a lot of a lot of ground to be explored there. And actually, now that I think of it, creatives, if you don't want to go into content creation, write a book, write a script. Please pitch something to these network executives because what is out there at the moment is fucking awful. Yeah, <laughs> i
0: like, yeah, and I'm also tired of seeing triads on TV, aka oh, Monogamy yeah. 2.0. Yeah. Let's not put in close triads as the epitome of polyamorous representation. Let's do something else. Like, How about like a relationship anarchists? How yep. about a person who happens to have an partner on the asexual spectrum, a partner on the aromantic spectrum? Let's mm. mix this shit yeah. up. Let's explore these different types of connections that you can have in polyamory. That's yeah. the most important thing to me.
1: Yeah, and also, like, trans and non-binary people, like, I think the polyamorous community and the trans 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 community overlap so much, and I'm shocked that there has been, like, no trans polyamorous representation in the media, because there's, like, a whole joke about like how like every trans person is polyamorous. Like I see there's a lot online. This is like a whole thing. I don't know how no one's picked up on this yet. So yeah, give us non triad representation, give us like people of colour, give us asexual representation, give us trans and non binary people. Give us queer representation generally. I would love to see like an all lesbian polycule, like an all gay men polycule. That would be super fun. Rather than just like a yeah. standard like two bisexual women and one straight man, they're all white. So
0: yeah, it's, like, Ta- bone like, to pick. I'm just, I'm so sick of that. And I make this joke all the time, especially as a Jamaican people are like, Oh, Polly, I'm really like, what at, what, how would I go? And when you explain to it, they're just like, and that's a white people shit. That's the first question. Is that not some white people shit? And I'm like, yes, but it's also black people shit and Asian people shit. That's people shit. I think it's everybody's shit. I'm sorry. Okay. This is what it is, but it's, it's just so funny. Cause like when we make certain comments, sometimes we have to purpose this by saying, Hey, yes. Black people do this too. This is not just some white people stuff, sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it's just, it's so interesting how media has pushed that idea, like in, in the real world to how people view the thing. Because the mm-hmm. same thing like with being gay and like queer on television, like most of the characters that you usually see are white people. So for a lot of people of color and households, they're like, but isn't that aren't white people the only ones that are like, what are we doing here? I remember having to explain Mm. that to people like, yeah, no, being, it's not just white people that are trans. Okay. Like black people can be trans too. Yeah. Oh, so it's not just because of whatever. No, it's an everybody thing.
1: Black people can be trans too. Something that Dave Chappelle needs to get into his head.
0: (laughs) Dave Chappelle. It's it's God. It's so much. It's so much. But yes, no, thank you so much for agreeing to be here. I truly appreciate this. And I love that we were able to have this conversation about the influencing part of, being a content creator in polyamory as well, and how you can change narratives within the world who may not be a part of, they're not in the same club as we are. Like, yeah, oh, like I, you know,
1: I, yeah. Like I hope that people have been able to get an insight into behind the scenes shit that kind of goes on because I'm like a swan. Like I am, you know, so gracefully floating on the surface, but my, feet are very rapidly working underneath that was a really dumb analogy
0: i'm sorry <laughs> no but um, i loved it though i see my like paddly feet like i did yeah. that for everyone to see at home
1: <laughs> yeah yeah we're both swans so, so yeah like i'm glad i was able to provide like a sneak peek into kind of what goes on there and um, also talk about my polyamory journey and share with you like the gripes of what's being seen in the media so yeah polyamorous creatives non-monogamous creatives please get out there and make some shit because i think that art is really what influences people and i think that polyamorous creatives and are desperately needed
0: yes yes of course so why don't you tell people where to find you i'm sure if they're listening to this they probably already know but just for the ones who may not know who you are by some stretch of the imagination why don't you tell them where to find
1: sure i'm at polyphilia blog so that's p-o-l-y p-h-i-l-i-a-b-l-o-g on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, Patreon, probably a bunch of other places as well. But you can find me at the same handle on pretty much every every kind of main social media platform. I post content on all those platforms on a daily basis. And I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash polyphilia blog. And I also sell merch at polyphilia Shop. dot dot, redbubble.com so just a lot of non-monogamy relationship anarchy merch kind of queer merch that kind of thing and it's black friday at the moment although it probably won't be by the time like folks hear this but everything's on sale everything's constantly on sale on redbubble so yeah just check that out and obviously i offer peer support more information about that can be found like on any of my social media like in the link in my bio and Yeah, that's it from me.
0: Yes, awesome. Okay, so you guys heard from Leanne first, all the places to find her. She does everything from peer support to merch. So hop on over there, check out Leanne. Thank you so much for being here, and I hope to bring you back soon to probably talk more about being autistic and polyamorous.
1: Lovely. Thank you so much.
0: Once again, I would love to thank Leanne for being on the podcast talking to us about her journey into polyamory and also a bit about the polyamorous content creation lifestyle all the links to everything we discussed including other content creators tv shows tips to get into content creation and so many more things can be found in our detailed show notes which are at monogamishpod.com now, let me tell you some tidbits about Monogamish Pod and where you can find us out in the verse. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon, and YouTube, and on TikTok at MonogamishPod. Like that's really the standard tagline everywhere. You can always reach me anywhere there. And of course, I'm your host, Jen. To find me personally, you can head over to at Have You Met Jen, Jen with the J-H-E-N on Twitter and Instagram, and my website, www.haveyoumetjen.com. Now, the video episode is supposed to be out for this, like, right now, as I'm dropping this, but unfortunately, that is not going to happen my laptop is doing the most and so the video episode will not be up immediately as this episode drops as usual it will be coming a bit later if you want to support the podcast in other ways aside from listening you can rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to boost us in the rankings this makes us more accessible for other people to find and we definitely want to be reaching out to people who want this content you can also tell a friend Share the episodes with your friends and family, especially during this holiday season. Y'all got those long drives ahead of you. Put on Monogamish Pod. Get them hooked on the pod. Get them hooked on the pod and so they can keep coming back for more can also spend some money on the pod to allow me to keep creating some amazing content and of course you get some benefits too once you subscribe to the patreon you can get bonus content you can get t-shirts stickers lots of amazing things our merch shop if you just want the merch outright you can head over to our merch shop and purchase anything from there monocomunchpod.threadless.com patreon of course patreon.com monogamous pod yes type in that way because 18 plus and of course there's also anchor support you can head over to our anchor.fm slash monogamous pod click on the support button and you can just do a little sum sum our way every single month for a low 99 cents a month like look at that isn't that amazing there are other ways to support me more directly you can find those of course in any of the links that i mentioned in our detail show notes and on the website. So I think that's all I have for you guys today. One thing I want to say, of course, is happy holidays to you guys. Wishing you guys all the best for the new year. Our next episode will drop around New Year's Eve, New Year's Day-ish. I'm not looking at a calendar right now, but I know it's the week of New Year's. So I'll be dropping an episode then. Can't tell you what it's about yet because, um, well, it's a secret. It's a surprise. So, once again, I am Jen, and this is Monogamous Pod. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a great holiday, and I'll catch you next time.